Hello, and welcome to the AAMFT podcast. Your all-access pass to the latest news developments and thought leaders in the world of systemic therapy. We strive to relate, educate, and innovate one episode at a time. I'm your host, Dr. Eli Karam, and we're brought to you by the American Association for Marriage and Family Therapy. Our podcast explores topics that relationship-based therapists care about. In addition to featuring unique conversations and interviews with established experts, our show provides information and education on direct practice and emerging trends in the MFT profession. For more information, please visit us at aamft.org. Thanks for listening and enjoy the show. Back with you for another installment of the AAMFT podcast, and I'm excited today to for, to start our first in a series of deeper dives into AMFT's new topical interest network and engagement programs that were started a couple years ago. And these include things like couple and intimate relationships, family therapists in healthcare,s family therapists in schools, margins to the center, which focuses on cultural connections among MFTs, and the focus of today, queer and trans advocacy, now also known as QTAN. The mission of QTAN is to connect AAMFT members who are interested in and passionate about sexual and gender minority, also abbreviated as SGM, issues. Members may identify as SGM, work with SGM clients, or simply want to learn more about the SGM health and well-being. Together, this topical interest network is going to increase professional competency to better serve all SGM clients, create a professional network, enable peer support, and to advocate for SGM health and well-being. Uh, and we're going to talk about all to, all of that today. Today with the chair of QTAN, Dr. Erica Hartwell. Erica is an assistant professor and clinical director in the Department of MFT at Fairfield University. She's an LMFT in the state of Connecticut and a clinical fellow and approved supervisor with AAMFT. She sits on the editorial board of JMFT and is the founding chairperson of QTAN. Before that, she was the member of the AMFT Queer Affirmative Caucus for 10 years. She's going to talk a lot about that as the forerunner to QTAN. And she's clearly passionate about, as you can tell from this interview, about uh, affirmative and effective therapy with LGBTQ individuals, couples, and family. At Fairfield, she teaches a course to prepare students to work with LGBTQ clients and is currently designing an online postgraduate certificate, which she's really excited about and I think is going to be an industry uh, standard. She's also on the board of directors for Triangle Community Center, which is Connecticut's largest LGBTQ resource, and founded Pride and Wellness, an LGBTQ-focused health and wellness fair. So after the interview, I'll be back to share some more resources. Okay, Erica Hartwell, welcome to the AAMFT podcast. So happy to have you here. You are the current chair of the Queer and Trans Advocacy Network, which we will call QTAN. And before I ask you about you, let's, because I think clinicians or people that are not uh, familiar with this world, there's a lot of abbreviations. So let's, let's, let's talk about what you prefer. So those listeners that may be unfamiliar, let's talk about the differences between things like sex sex and gender minority, uh, which we abbreviate SGM and LGBTQ, um, which most people know. Um, So let's talk about the language you want to use today to start the interview before we talk about you. Sure. I'm happy to talk about language. I think that's one of the most important places to start uh, when we're talking about sexuality and we're talking about gender identity. So most people, like you said, are familiar with LGBTQ, um, which stands for lesbian, gay, bisexual, trans 
transgender and queer and I think that's the acronym that's most often used um, and it's a perfectly good acronym. Uh, one of the limitations with it is that it represents those five kind of identities and uh, one of the things that we know about sexual and gender identity is that it is vast and diverse and it really can't fit into only five categories. So sometimes we'll use broader language like sexual and gender minorities to really represent anybody who's um, not heterosexual or not um, cisgender um, and cisgender meaning that you identify with the gender you were assigned when you were born. Um, Sexual and gender minorities tends to be more of like a research and a clinical term. Um, so like I wouldn't walk around saying I'm a sexual minority, right? So it's not the language people use to describe themselves, it's the language that scholars use to describe population. So for our network, we decided to call ourselves the queer and trans advocacy for a couple reasons. One, uh, queer is sort of being reclaimed as more of an umbrella term to encompass a wide range of identities um, and communities and the we are an out we are the child i guess of the queer affirmative caucus and so keeping that word queer was important to honor the legacy of that group we added the word trans because trans people are often still kind of marginalized forgotten left out within queer communities so we wanted to be very clear, right, who this network is for and who we're representing and who we're advocating we're for. We talk a lot about the network, but then let's, for the purpose of our interview today, let's say QTAN and we have it covered. Does that sound good? Okay, and I do want to hear more about these, uh, the origins of this from the Queer Affirmative Caucus in a second too. But first, we're a relational show. You are a, you know, you are a practitioner, you are an academic uh, MFT, and now you're an emerging leader within AAMFT. But let's talk about your journey into this field and then specifically your interest in QTAN. My journey into this field, I guess, started when I was an undergraduate and I was a human development major. Um, I was just drawn to it. I'd always been interested in people and relationships and making a difference. All of my jobs growing up had to do with mentoring and tutoring and, and things like that. And I had uh, a couple professors who were family therapists. So I read Salvador Mnuchin as a junior. Yeah. Um, and then after I graduated, I... Where were we at this time? So uh, you got your PhD at Ohio State. I was at Cornell. You're at Cornell. Human Development at Cornell. It was, a, it was a great school. It was a really great human development department. I had, you know, learned a lot of interesting things about development and families and relationships and systemic thinking. And after I graduated, I was working in some independent schools in Vermont where um, the kids who are kind of a little too <laughs> rowdy in public school are sent to. And so these were kids that I was working with for, Alternative you know. Alternative schools. Yes, yeah, right, exactly. Right, right. Um, so these are kids that I was working with for six hours a day. And, you know, at the end of the day, I felt, you know, like maybe we had, we, we had made some progress. We had opened something up. And then the next morning, it, it, it's as though it never happened. And that really just highlighted for me how little I could really accomplish only working with a kid. Um, and so that really drove me towards family therapy. I think it's interesting. We all have a story of how we got here. So yeah, you, your impact was only on part of the system and you wanted a, a larger impact. Uh, and then, yes, your uh, your interest in working uh, with queer and trans populations. Tell us about that. Sure. So I was always thinking about um, just experiences of different people and how that's impacted by power and, and social structures and social norms. And so I'd always been interested in gender and, and sexuality. And when I got to Ohio State, which is where I did 
did my PhD, I was fortunate enough to work in Julie Sorovich's lab. And that lab was just this hub of, you know, queer scholarship and queer scholars. And um, I learned so much there and really um, just got energized to contribute more to that part of our field um, because I recognized there really wasn't enough. Because you have kind of one foot in advocacy and one foot in academia uh, and, you know, an accredited program. Let's talk about the training of couple and family therapists to work with uh, QTAN populations. Uh, where are we and, and what is your experience of that and where do you think we need to go as a field? A great question because I think about that quite a bit. Um, I think where we are broadly as a field is that most clinicians are talking about sexuality and gender maybe a couple weeks in their whole master's program. Um, you know, it's maybe it's a unit or a lecture of the week. A yeah, population. Yeah, it's it's this it's, tiny topic. It's not an ongoing dialogue. It's not. Um, and and I and I say that because um, these students and new professionals are coming to me and to other members, you know, of AMFT and of QTAN, looking for more training and resources and knowledge, um, saying I, I didn't get this in my graduate program or I only got a week and now you know I have all of these. LGBTQ clients, and I just am not sure I know what I'm doing. I don't want to cause any harm. Um, so I think it's 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 often just this kind of a unit, a module, a topic, as opposed to being integrated throughout. And that's what I personally think should be happening with all social positions and social identities, and really looking at how our context in this society creates some of our experiences and creates the way that our families work and our and our systems work. And it really impacts us. So say more about that. If I am uh, very different than the population I'm working with, uh, rather than kind of not mentioning it or staying away from it, as you said, trying to do no harm, tell you, kind of explain your own words, how someone, whether they're a student or they're an LMFT, they're out practicing, how they can become more comfortable working with this population and also, I guess, increasing their scope of competence in, in, in working uh, with queer and trans populations. So I think the first step for working with any client, right, but particularly a client that has a different social identity than you, is to get more comfortable and familiar with your own identity. You know, so for a lot of people, they've never thought about their sexuality um, or they've never thought about their gender identity. Yeah, when you're in the majority, you, you don't think about what's in the minority. Exactly. I mean, that's part of the definition of privilege, right? So for me, as a white person, I have to very intentionally think about my race and my identity and how does that shape my experience. Um, and so for all MFTs, I think really just getting acquainted with all of those parts of your identity and how they shape your experience. It helps you uncover more of your own just assumptions and biases about the way people live and the way people change. Um, and it helps you become more comfortable just having those conversations with anyone, regardless of whether they share that particular identity with you or not. So I think looking at your own identity is number one. Um, and number two is really just embracing that we all have biases that we are just full of biases we're humans in this society full of all of these rules and messages and norms and we're absorbing them and it's not our fault that we've absorbed them but it is our responsibility to identify them and you know deconstruct them and, and not impose them on other people thinking of, of students and 
you know, you're a clinical trainer, I'm a clinical trainer. If, if you're a student working with a, a same-sex couple or a member um, in, in a family system, but it is not identified as a presenting problem, I think students are afraid to ask, even though context is so important. How do you help young professionals, in addition to owning who they are, including their biases, how do you help them to be more comfortable asking, especially if it doesn't come up as a presenting problem? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think one of the things that I personally reinforce with my students is the willingness to make a mistake and clean it up. So we practice that in class. What do you do when you say something and you found out later it's you know the wrong thing to say? Um, but we practice also just asking questions in class, using language. Um, another thing I would tell students is, you know, if this person wasn't in, you know, a, a same gender or same sex relationship, what questions would you ask about their relationship? What are the context questions that you'd want to know? And, and start there, right? And, and maybe there are some different questions you want to ask uh, because this family may have experienced, you know, certain kinds of discrimination, right? Or rejection or marginalization, but start like you would with any system. System. You know, you want to know how long they've been together. You want to know what problems they face, how they've overcome those problems. You, in 2020, I know at your university, Fairfield, you'll be starting uh, really, I think, a transformative, uh, groundbreaking program, the Certificate in Sexual and Gender Minority Health. Uh, I want you to talk about that and talk about your hopes for that, not only at your own university, but kind of within the field of you know, other co-empty programs and couple and family therapy training facilities. So that program is something that I'm very excited about. Um, it kind of feels like my my child, my baby right now, yes. And I'm trying to take very good care of it. Um, and uh, that is something that has really been born out of um, years of presenting, right, at conferences on LGBTQ therapy and issues. And also, I teach an elective course at Fairfield U on, on the same. And at the end of that course and at the end of the presentation, you know, most people there are like, this was great, and what's next? I need, I want more. Like we've, okay, this is, we've scratched the surface and I have so many more questions and I know there's so much more I need to know. Um, and so this is my attempt to create that more, to create a, a more sustained, extended, in-depth training program where folks can really, you know, be self-reflective, look at those biases, look at their own identities, um, get more in-depth knowledge on health disparities and treatment and working with, you know, trans folks and, and non-binary folks and working with youth. So all of the questions that come up all of the time, really trying to incorporate those all into a, a certificate program that um, makes sense, that builds from the beginning to the end. Uh, yeah, I'm very curious about this. So if, if I already have my master's degree, can I come back and get this? Or is this built into your um, MFT program at Fairfield? Uh, how... You know, how, how do I access this program if I'm interested? Or, or, what are you looking to draw on current students or people to come back to, like I said, increase their scope of practice and competence? My goal is to make this program as relevant and accessible to as many mental health professionals as possible. So it's, it's not even just for MFTs. 
um, it'd be for other professions, although all of my instructors are MFT, so they're, they're going to get that systemic slant, which is a great thing. Um, and it's open you know, to current graduate students or to new professionals. And one of the things that I'm working on right now is uh, the way to make it uh, affordable and meaningful for all of those different populations who might take it. So for a current graduate student, how is this something they can incorporate into what they're already doing? And that's easy enough at Fairfield, right? I can make it a track, um, but for somebody who's at another university, how do I make it so that they can add this to their program and get this kind of specialized training if they want it? And of course, for professionals, that looks like offering CEs. Yeah. And, and as far as the delivery, are you thinking face-to-face and online or just face-to-face because uh, to reach as many people as possible? You have a lot of people that after they listen to this podcast, they're going to be interested in it, um, But uh, and you want to make it affordable and accessible. So how? what's the plan for that? So the plan is to start with it being fully online. Oh, great. Yeah, so that it is accessible wherever you are as as long as you've got an internet connection, right, and a device, which most professionals do. Um, So it's it's gonna start off fully online. And one of my long-term goals would be to have um, a short-term residency at some point during the program where everybody would come to Fairfield and we'd have sort of a couple days. Like an intensive? Yeah, like an intensive and and to really um, get some of the hands-on face-to-face training and also create a community together, right, as professionals um, who want to specialize or who are looking to get training in this area to have a network that you can then reach out to later for case consultation. Oh, I'm very excited to hear that. How many courses and uh, the expected completion of something like this, if you are doing it, you know, because I imagine you have, will have some students doing it, you'll have some practitioners that want to go back and get this as far as kind of time commitment and how many courses what will that look like? So it is currently a five-course certificate um, with the first course sort of introducing kind of the context and, and the, the problem, if you will, like that stigma and creates health disparities for LGBTQ people. And then a second course that's really focusing on treatment, healing practices, um, you know, how do we work with people who are experiencing stigma and discrimination um, to really help them heal from that. And then two more specialized elective topics or courses. And right now I have two. And of course, in the future, I'd want to build more of those. Um, and one of those is working um, with transgender and gender diverse folks. And the other is working with queer youth. And then it would end with a capstone project where people actually create something real in their practice, in their lives. You know, it could be an app. It could be just changing the paperwork right at your agency Um, it could be creating a particular kind of uh, therapy group however people want to take the knowledge and the resources that they've gained and bring it into the real world Um, because if it doesn't change the way that people practice it's not a successful program and that being said i am also looking into offering different courses as standalones if people really just want to focus on working with queer youth um I, I want my goal is to make this available because I see I see the need and I see the demand. So we were mentioning that the QTAN is based on really the the forerunner and the queer affirmative caucus. Talk to us a little bit about that and how that really inspired you and gave rise to this. So the queer affirmative caucus uh, was a grassroots 
informal group of AMFT members who have been, you know, meeting at the conference and and communicating in between for over 25 years. Um, so these are people who really pave the way, you know, for for queer and trans MFTs, um, both as clinicians and and scholars, who took a lot of actions that created more safety and inclusion at AMFT. You know, who brought the trainings and the research here. Um, and we couldn't be here as QTAM without them. And one of the things we always talked about in the caucus was, you know, ways of making more change and, and can we make more change if, if we're truly part of AMFT, right, part of that, that infrastructure. And so when um, the topical interest networks came up, this was sort of, this was kind of our opportunity to have really a seat at the table um, as a voice, as a as a significant voice, I think, in our membership. And I remember in, in 2008 was my first AMFT conference. Um, oh, I'm sorry, no, 2009 was my second AMFT conference, but my first as a doctoral student. And I it was like lunchtime between some workshops and you know, I was here with uh, with Julie Sorovich and, and some of my other uh, colleagues at Ohio State, and they're like, you know, come here, we're eating lunch over here. And we went into, like, this dead-end hallway, and everybody was sitting on the floor, and they had their lunches from, like, the food cart or, or whatnot, and just sat around and talked about what how, what was going on at the conference, what was going on in our field. Literally starting on the ground floor. Yeah, literally just yeah. sitting on the floor with yeah. our bagged lunches. That was the Queer Caucus. Um, and then eventually, you know, conference staff would, would give us rooms to meet in and, and really did support us in the ways that they could. Um, and now as a TAN, of course, we, we get to have all the, the different benefits of, of being a part of AMFT. Uh, there's a huge sharing the, again, QTAN, the Queer and Trans Advocacy Network at AMFT. And we're going to have a lot of people listening to this podcast that are getting into the Topical Interest Network. So uh, certainly wanted to have you on and talk about that. So let's talk about the kind of structure of the group. And if you join, whether it's at the end of your membership cycle, you're a new member to AMFT, or you can join in the middle, um, what will you get? What are the goals? And what will you get by being a member of the QTAN? So you can join QTAN at any point. Um, you could do it right now online. Um, and the membership benefits, um, what we've been offering so far in 2019 are quarterly webinars. So we've been offering webinars led by experts in the field on different topics. Those webinars are also recorded and available um, through the Tenio system. And the benefit to members is that you receive a discounted price. Awesome. And CEUs and a discounted price. Tell us, um, since the um, origin of the group in 218 into 219, tell us some of the topics and speakers you've had, if you can. Sure. Well, this summer we had um, Dr. Marky Twist uh, talking about digital sexuality. Um, on October 2nd, we'll have um, Dr. Alex Antiafi talking about working with non-binary clients. Um, we've also had a topic on trans youth and one looking at um, supervision. So you get your webinars. Is that done on like Zoom? So we do it on Tenio, AMFT's oh, online learning platform. Um, yes, and to get to that, if you're listening, you just go to amft.org, pull down the first tab, and you'll see kind of uh, online learning, and that's where Tenio is, and you can find not just what Eric is talking about, but many of the guests we've had on the podcast. So 
okay, I get that. What else do I? What are my other member benefits? So we also have an online uh, discussion forum, an online community that's also members only. So for people who are looking for... Um, maybe a, a supervisor, right, who specializes in this area, or they have a, a case-related question, they just sort of want to reach out and, you know, phone a friend. Um, people just connecting geographically. You know, sometimes people think, I'm the only person in my area doing this, and then you put it out there on the message form, and you find somebody's maybe like an hour away, and you didn't know that you had a colleague nearby. Um, so the discussion forum is a way for people to connect to one another and, and to share resources. And so that's, um, that's what we've done largely so far. And with the remainder of the time we have in 2019, um, we also plan to appoint a family team liaison uh, because one of the... Again, family team, if you're listening, that is AMFT's advocacy wing um, to mobilize. It's done around geographic areas, but it's also done around issues and populations like we're talking about today. Yeah, so part of the mission of Q10 is to advocate for sexual and gender minority health and well-being. So obviously it's crucial that we work with the family team on different legislation that's happening around the country that affects our health and well-being. Um, so that's another, that's one of our big goals for the rest of the year. Um, and then exciting things uh, coming up for, for members, they'll also have... Can you say a little more about that? What would that look like if if, because we have some members that are already part of the family team and some people that will join after listening to this today, what does kind of the boots on the ground advocacy um, for working with these populations, what does that look like if, if someone is interested in that? Well, so when it comes to the family team, that looks a lot like um, collaborating with the family team, letting them know different uh, issues or pieces of legislation that are coming up, whether it's federal level or state level or um, policies and regulations that are changing. Um, and then honestly, the family team, they know their stuff and they're going to do their magic, contacting who they need to contact, writing the letters they need to write, um, getting people, you know, showing up to, to different meetings um, so that AMFT can stand behind, you know, certain legislation that they want to support as an organization. Um, so one of the things that I think is really exciting about working with the family team is that we'll have AMFT as a whole behind um, whatever we're looking to support that really just enhances health and well-being. Um. So I can talk to colleagues around the country. I can share resources. I can get these, these great webinars. Um, what else, as far as emerging leadership in this area, obviously uh, the importance of our interest networks in AMFT are based on member choice and the ones that will uh, survive and thrive are the ones that will gain momentum with membership. If you're passionate about this area and you're looking forward to be more in the leadership of QTAN, uh, how would how would somebody do that? They could contact me. Yeah. yeah. Tell people how to contact They could contact me. My email is uh, ehartwell at fairfield.edu. Um, you can also uh, contact QTAN at QTAN at AMFT.org. Um, if you become a member, you could contact us through the online forum. Uh, one of the things, uh, the, the current leadership, we have four elected officers currently, and, and one of the things that's really our priority is developing emerging leaders, right? The goal is, is that you don't 
want to be in a position forever, right? You want to empower the next generation of, of clinicians and scholars um, and provide mentorship and development. So we currently have an education and training officer, Mary Nadella, who is a graduate student. And so she organizes our webinars. You know, the family team liaison can certainly be an emerging leader. And uh, we have other opportunities coming up. Folks can volunteer at conferences. They can lead discussions on the forum. Um, also in 2020, we will be forming a CEO workgroup with Tracy Todd to develop best practice guidelines for working with queer and trans clients. And that's a huge opportunity to kind of be a part of this and be a part of advocacy and be a part of moving our field forward. And that that is certainly needed. Um, Listening to you too, a large portion of our listeners to the podcast are um, because you don't necessarily have to be a marriage and family therapist. You have to be interested in thinking systemically uh, and, and some working with couples and families. We have a lot of students, preclinical fellows listen. So the, the leadership level, we, we do need young, passionate people. So just because you're a student or um, you don't have that many clinical years under your belt, that does not mean you cannot um, get involved with uh, QTAN. Absolutely not. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I'm glad that you have the student involvement. I'm also like so much in our field, as you know, what is the relational work um, is farmed out to other disciplines, other people. So part of, I think, your your niche is kind of taking this back uh, for MFT. And I'm also curious because, uh, again, you have your foot in kind of different avenues, your research and how that kind of fits into your kind of clinical and advocacy passion too. What are you doing to move the needle in that area? Um, So a lot of the things that I I focus on with my research has to do with, you know, sexual minority health and well-being as well, or, um, and also in line with that, uh, social justice education and training. So looking at, you know, the, the mental health and well-being of LGBTQ people and also looking at how do we empower and train our clinicians to be able to support the mental health and well-being uh, of LGBTQ people. So um, one area I'm particularly interested in is looking at uh, bisexuality and the health disparities there. Um, one of the things the research shows us is that bisexual folks actually experience higher health disparities than, um, say, lesbian or gay individuals. Why do, you think, why do you think that is? I think we, we live in a society that um, really is comfortable with binaries, right? We, we, want, we don't have two boxes. Either or, check the box. Yeah, we want to have two boxes, and we want to know which one to check. And, and any time, you know, we, we really highlight the complexity and, and the multifaceted nature of humanity, we, we just, we don't, we don't know what to do with it. It makes us uncomfortable. We don't know how to like name it, understand it. And I think, um, the idea of, of, of being attracted to or in relationships with, um, people of more than one gender is, it's just not something that we can easily understand right away. Like it just not with what we have been taught socially. And so I think there's just increased stigma and misunderstanding and rejection uh, because of this this binary thinking. I think you're right. Um, when you think, this is kind of the future-oriented question as, as we get ready to wrap up here, if you think of where we are as both a profession of marriage and family therapy and association AAMFT, obviously we've talked about uh, these innovations that you all are working on. Where do we need to go? And if we have this 
conversation five years down the line? Um, where do you hope we'll be? So. I think because we're systemic relational therapists, we are in such a unique position to really have an impact on people's lives, right? We get how connected we are to one another, right? That we're not islands. We're so connected and everything that we do impacts the people in all of our systems, right? Whether it's your family system or whether it's your your larger cultural societal system. and. I think being able to recognize that, how we're connected and how our, we have an impact on each other, there's such an awesome responsibility in that. And to really be responsible for, for how we are being in all of those spaces in ways that we can really take care of each other. And I think that connects very naturally to issues of social justice and how we take care of one another as a society. And so I think that we really could, as marriage and family therapists, make a difference in people's lives and in creating justice and equality uh, through relationships. I always say it's a beautiful way of saying how our micro work as a profession can infect the macro uh, as far as how we we look at the world and and I can't thank you enough for being here. Do you have anything else? I mean, your your program at Fairfield is going to be great. Uh, the QTAN is, is, like I said, growing in membership even as we speak. And after this airs, I'm sure we'll have some of our listeners uh, sign up, which you, it's very simple to do uh, on amft.org. Anything else, any other kind of misconceptions or myths or any last words you want to leave our listeners with? Because you, I view you as, you know, a leader in this area within AMFT and certainly you're, you can listen to you uh, in these last couple of minutes and tell your passion and your commitment to this topic. So anything else, any final words, Eric? I think my final words would just be to focus on compassion. Um, I really think that Compassion is just the center of, of everything that, that I'm doing and everything that I think is important to what we do. And the more that we can build our compassion for ourselves, because we're all very hard on ourselves, and our compassion for other people, whether they're other MFTs, whether they're your clients, whether they're your family members, I think it just makes such a difference in what we're able to accomplish um, and the quality of our lives and the health and the well-being of everyone around us. So anything we can do to just build that capacity for compassion, that I think has an impact on our future and our well-being. Beautifully said. You cannot argue with that. We all can be more compassionate. Thank you so much, Erica Hartwell, for being with us today on the AAMFT podcast. Okay. Thank you again, Erica. Let's talk about some resources if you listen to that podcast and interest are following up. Uh, first of all, if you're interested in learning more about working with this population and you need continuing education credits, AMFT has you covered. Go to amft.org. Underneath the tab, Enhanced Knowledge, you see Online Education and Training, which will take you to Tenio. That's AMFT's online education system with numerous courses focused on keeping you up to date in the latest and greatest in systemic therapy. There's on the left-hand side, there's a topics tab and you can check LGBTQ and you'll see a host of great offerings by AMFT at um, our workshops and webinars. Specifically, if you want to follow up um, to hear more from Erica, click on to refer or treat ethical decisions with LGBTQ clients. That's Erica, Dr. Sheila Addison, Ben Caldwell, uh, Kristen Benson, among others. 
and that is a panel uh, about ethical dilemmas in working with LGBTQ clients worth two CEUs. Other topics include competences in family therapies with transgender clients, affirming bisexuality, solution-focused brief therapy with LGBTQ children, youth, and families, and affirmative care with transgender and diverse youth. Lots of offerings to choose from. Again, Tenio, the online platform. Also, if you're interested in joining one of these topical interest networks, as we talked about QTAN today and in the weeks and months to come on the podcast, you'll hear us talk about AMFT's other topical interest networks. Go to engage and network at amft.org. Pull down the tab, topical interest networks, and there we will find all of the current offerings. And remember, AMFT, the new MFT prioritizes member choice. If you're interested in one of these, you can click on there, see what they have to offer, and you can either at the beginning of your new membership renewal cycle, click on which topical interest networks you want to belong to, or you can now join mid-cycle. Just click join now to add the program. We love hearing from you. Feedback is what drives our show. Best way to get a hold of me Send me an email, info at elikaram.com, E-L-I-K-A-R-A-M. You can drop the AAMFT a line at communications at aamft.org. Follow the conversation on Twitter. The hashtag is Stay Systemic, and you can follow my handle, at Dr. Eli Live, and the AAMFT is at the AAMFT. We love hearing from you. We're rising through the ranks of mental health podcasts, so please, wherever you listen to your favorite podcast, I like Apple Podcasts, but you could go to Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play. Please leave us a rating and review. That helps a lot. As always, until next time, my friends, stay systemic. <laughs>